0: Good morning. I'm Stephen Cooper. I'm the pastor here. Glad to welcome you. And uh, if you want to take notes during the message, uh, you can look on the inside of your bulletin. There is a place to take notes. We're going to be putting the verses that we're looking at up on the screen as we go along today. And uh, we're in a series on the Bible. And, you know, each week, I want you to start by letting you know that I understand what it's like to struggle with the Bible. Um, I've found that reading the Bible can be difficult for and I'm going to give you two reasons today. So I've given you lots of reasons in the past a couple of weeks, but today two reasons, um, and these two reasons can be summed up in one question: that if you are like me, you have asked many times. The Question is, uh, what's going on? What's going on? You know We ask this question when we're lost, when we're confused. And I think there's two different ways that we ask this question with regard to the difficulty of reading the Bible. Okay, and so let me give you those. First, um, what's going on in this Bible passage? Okay, that happens to us as we read. We think, what the heck is this about? Like, what are they talking about? What is going on? We start reading a passage, and we just, we're lost. Sometimes we feel like we're picking up in the middle of the story. And we're like, okay, I just don't know where we are, where we've been. Um, other times, we actually start at the beginning, and again, if you're like me, I can remember um, reading the book of Leviticus, or Isaiah, or actually Numbers, or Exodus, or even Genesis, or the Song of Solomon, or the book of Psalms, or Malachi, or uh, Second Chronicles especially, uh, and you start reading this, and you're like, okay, wait, wait, this time I'm going to understand it, right? It can't be that hard, right? And so you start reading chapter 1, and you're like, I think I got it. Then you get to chapter 2, and you're like, I think I still understand what's going on here, right? And then chapter 3, you're like, I'm lost. And you're like, what is going on? And so we quickly get lost, sometimes even starting at the beginning of a book. I think you'll identify with that if you've had any experience reading the Bible. But also... There's another way that we ask this question, what's going on, in a way that makes it difficult for us to read the Bible, okay? And this is it. It's, what's going on in my life? Okay? What's going on in my life? When life is frustrating or painful, we ask this question, what's going on, right? When people around us are not cooperating, when relationships break down, when work is bad, when money is tight, we begin to wonder, what the heck? Right? What is going on? And we ask, where is God? Where is God in the midst of all of this? What is going on in my life? Why is this happening to me? And when we feel that way, it's difficult for us to read the Bible, isn't it? Because you think, God must not care. God must not be here, because if he cared, it wouldn't be this way. If he was near, then I wouldn't feel this way. I wouldn't be going through this. And so we wonder, what is God doing? Does God love me? These are questions that everyone asks. Even the Bible asks these questions. right? Let me just show you one place. In Psalm 13, this is the Psalms. This is, a, this is a song that God inspired King David to write. So this is in the Bible because God wants you to know that if this is how you feel, you need to go to him with this feeling. And he wants to create space. If you've ever felt this way, you're in good company because the Bible actually has this question. David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever not wanted to read the Bible because you felt this way, you're in good company. The Bible actually was written for you. And so this is why we're doing this series, right? We're in this series called From Cover to Cover, the Bible reading, finding life on every page. And we've seen um, as we've gone through this that the Bible ends the silence from God. That we actually can know what God is doing. We can know how he thinks and feels. And then last week, we looked at City Bible Reading, which is this tool that we use. It's a journal that has a reading plan in it. More importantly, it has a plan that, go, that helps us to go from just reading the Bible to actually experiencing God. Okay, and we talked about that last week. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at the big picture story of the Bible. Okay, I'm going to teach you a way to memorize the entire Bible with four words. Okay? It's going to be really easy. In about 30 seconds from now, you're going me- to memorize the entire story of the entire Bible. And these four words aren't just going to help you memorize the Bible, but they're also going to help you answer the question, what is going on? What's going on with this clicker? There we go. These four words will help you understand both what's going on in the Bible passage I'm reading, wherever you're reading, And they'll also help you to understand what is going on in my life. Okay? And so grab the bookmark. Grab the bookmark that Mike made reference to. It's in your bulletin. And we're going to go over these four words. Are you ready? Here's the story of the Bible. It's creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. Say it with me. Creation, fall, Redemption. Renewal. Say it again. Redemption. Renewal. Congratulations. You got the whole Bible in four words. This is the meta-narrative of the Bible. So above all of the individual stories and people and things that are going on, this is the big picture of what is going on in the Bible from beginning to end. And we're going to walk through these four words. I'm going to unpack them for you so that they won't just be four words that you can memorize and say back, but you actually know what they mean and how they talk about where God is, what's going on in the Bible, and also what's going on in your life, okay? And so let's start with creation. Good. All right, so creation. I want to read just a couple of verses. Genesis 1, 31. This is at the, the end of the creation account in Genesis 1. It says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, behold means check it out, it was very good. Okay, So God made this world. He made the heavens and the earth, and it was very good. All right, Then Romans 1, verse 20, it says, for God's invisible attributes... Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And so God made all things and they are very good. The world that God made was very good. Not just good, but it was very good. And when we look at the world that God made, Romans 1 says that we can actually perceive who God is and what he's like. So I want to talk about this a little bit. Um, do you know how amazing our God is? I mean, do you know how amazing the God is who authored the Bible? I don't know what your thoughts are when you think about the God of the Bible. I know that for some of you, when you think about the God of the Bible, there are things in the Bible that, you, that, that make you think that is not amazing. You think, wait, wait, hold on. I don't know if I like that kind of God. But I want you to stop, and I want to just try to help you connect with how amazing God is. Okay? Um, remember when you got your first smartphone? Remember that? Some of you don't even have a smartphone, maybe. But do you remember when you got your first smartphone, how amazing that experience was, right? There was anticipation. There was a point where you wanted a smartphone. You didn't even know you wanted one until Apple came out with the iPhone, and maybe you had one from before then. But, um, but you thought, oh, man, and there was anticipation. Then you made the decision, I'm going to get one. And then you're like, oh, I can't wait. And whether you bought it online or you went to a store, there's that anticipation that builds. And then you got it, and you thought, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. You thought I can look at the internet. I can I can do email. I can make phone calls. I've got a calendar. I've got all of these tools that are in my phone. It's amazing. Like it's super useful. How incredible that you can do all of this stuff and um, and you just you felt excited because you had it um, and you were like it just it began to change because you could do so much more stuff. And so I just I want you to connect with that feeling and then I want you to to, to try to understand that that is a small microcosm of the world that God has made. Okay? Imagine that. Being given the entire world to be as a gift. That the world truly is your oyster. Um, That's the world that God created and offered to our first parents, Adam and Eve, way back in the beginning. Our first parents experienced a new world. It was full of color, full of life. It was full of adventure, Have you all been to Sunset Cliffs? Have you seen the caves that are there that the the ocean waves have created? I mean, there are hundreds of feet of caves that are there. There are probably like 30 or 40 different caves. Some go really deep. Some are super shallow. And let me say, they are breathtaking. Some of the caves you can't even see unless you literally swim out into the ocean around rocks, and then you actually swim up on to a beach that there's really no access to. I mean, and those caves are just there for us to explore. They're just there. And they're beautiful. They're breathtaking. There is so much beauty that is built into the world that God made. And the beauty of the world shows us the beauty of the one who made it. Because it was all a gift for us. I mean, this is creation. And that's what God said to Adam and Eve in the beginning. He said, you can have everything to enjoy. Go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Fill it with not just your children, but fill it with an authority that looks like mine. I want you to steward the earth. I want you to take good care of it. I want you to bring it to fullness. I want you to make it fruitful. I want you to, make it, I want you to cultivate the earth. I want you to bring forth life from this world you can own this you can care for it you can steward it this world will be a source of joy and pleasure and happiness and that's what god created and in this world that god made in this adventure that god sent adam and eve on there was perfect peace and a perfect relationship with god but he created us so that we would know him He created us to be in relationship with him where we would be his children. He would be our loving heavenly father. He was over us and for a brief time, we loved it. For a brief time, we loved it. I mean, this is the wonderful story of creation and relationships not just with God, but with each other. Not just an absence of conflict. I mean, that's part of it, but there was real, true cooperation. Right? Real working together. It's, it's us looking at the world together and recognizing, you know what? We're different people, so we're going to see different aspects of this amazing world that God has made. And you know what? I actually don't. I'm, I'm too finite. I need to know your perspective. I champion and celebrate how different you are because you're going to help me see things that I can't see. And we're going to work together to bring out even more of the fullness of this amazing world that God Has made. And so there was glorious harmony where people supported each other, helped each other, understood each other, and worked with each other. Man. And then there was perfect peace with God, with others, good stewardship of the world, using the world, not abusing the world. And then there was a perfect peace within ourselves. Like in the world that God made, every person on the face of the earth would be truly and holistically happy with who they are. Comfortable with who they are, content with who they are, not jealous of who you're not. In the world that God made, man, that's what it was like. That's the world. That's what God created. Um, His purpose, his mission It's what we long for. It's what we wish was true. It's what we wish was present here. It's what we wish the world was like now. And friends, that was just the beginning. God had such amazing plans for what human beings would do. And so when you hear creation, I don't want you to think, merely like a physical earth, but I want you to understand the world that God designed. Okay, it's important for you because when you read the Bible, okay, when you read the Bible, you're going to see that there are times, sometimes where it actually talks about God creating. Other times, you're going to see things in the Bible, you're going to read passages in the Bible that really highlight God's design, God's intention, The way that God meant for it to be for us to act and to react for us things that we should do things that we shouldn't do and I want you to remember this idea of creation that all of that is wrapped up in that okay and so turn over the bookmark actually look on the back because what you see here um, this is the story of the Bible and city Bible reading Um, if you'll remember from last week city Bible reading includes a method of taking what we read and praying it into the presence of God with four boxes, right? With an acrostic that goes A-C-T-S for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And what I want you to see is I want you to look at these four letters with different lenses on today. I want you to take the the story of the Bible, the big picture story of the Bible of creation, fall, redemption, and renewal, and I want you to see how they line up with A-C-T-S, okay? Okay. And so, adoration, right, this is where we celebrate God for who he is and what he does. Really, this is closely tied in with creation. And if you're going to define that with a single word, it's beauty. That the world God made is beautiful. And so, what we remember when you think about creation is that God's creation was perfect, beautiful, and meaningful. And so, how do you rehearse the creation step when you read the Bible? Well, just ask yourself these two questions. If you're reading the Bible with any passage, how does this passage show God's design in creation? And then how can you honor God's beauty, his goodness, and his wisdom? If you can answer those two questions, and sometimes what you're reading, it'll be really clear, it'll jump off the page. Other times, it may not have a whole lot to say about creation, and if it doesn't, that's okay, you can move on. But the, the prayer of this with Genesis 131, I mean, it could sound something like this. God, you are the source of all beauty and goodness. I love and honor you for how you designed life to be. That's a prayer that celebrates creation. It's a prayer that adores God. Okay, so you with me? I mean, so that's creation. That's the creation step. Well, oh that it was still that way, right? As I'm describing this, you're like, oh, yeah, wouldn't that be great? But dang, it's not. Are you going to talk about reality? Or are you going to talk about real life? Are you just going to spend all your time up in the clouds? Well, the Bible story goes on. In fact, if you look at the front with creation, it's just Genesis 1 and 2. So um, two chapters in, and already we've screwed things up. Because in Genesis 3, we have the next point. We have the fall. We have the fall. And so I want you to understand that the fall is not just that God made up some arbitrary rule, put it up on the wall, and Adam and Eve, they did a bad thing. That's not what the fall, that doesn't, I mean, that is the fall, but there is so much more in the fall, just like there's so much more in creation. Okay, creation is more than just God made stuff, right? God created this amazing life of beauty, this amazing world, and this mission for us to share with. Well, the fall is the absolute destruction of all of creation, okay? The fall is both an all-out assault on what God has made, and it's also a tiny infectious disease that will eat away from the inside the way that God designed life to be. That's what the fall is. It wasn't just eating an apple, but it was Adam and Eve declaring that God wasn't right or good or loving. Okay, I want you to look at this. This is Genesis chapter 3. Let's go on. In Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5, this is now the serpent talking to the woman. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, He will not surely die. said, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the temptation here is not just, hey, check out the fruit, you should eat it. I know he said no, but don't worry about it, just eat it. No, no, no. what the devil is doing here is he's saying, he's, he's actually denying, he's saying God is lying. You will not surely die. God is a liar. And guess what? God actually does not have your best interests in mind. In fact, God is a self-serving, power-hungry uh, tyrant And he doesn't want you to get, he doesn't want you to rise up and do anything that might challenge his authority. And that's what he says here. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so you see what happens after this is that Eve takes the fruit, gives it to Adam. Adam eats the fruit. Um... And what they're doing when they eat the fruit is they are believing the serpent more than God. They are believing that God isn't good, that God doesn't have their best interests at heart. They believe that God was holding out on them and that he's a power-hungry tyrant. And so their activity, their action in eating the fruit was actually, it was rebellion against God. It was saying, you know what? I think there's a better way to live. And because of this, sin entered into the world. In the fall. You know, the fall has sort of at least two elements to it. Okay? The fall is, yes, it's it brings guilt because they broke the rules. Okay, and so what they did was wrong. God said, Don't do this, and they did it, and they were wrong. And that's offensive to God. Right God says look I've given you the whole world this one thing I've asked you not to touch or actually he just said I've asked you not to eat it right and yet they did it and so they were guilty because they broke God's rule but there's so much more to it than that because God isn't just in charge but God is good and his ways are good for us and for others so even when you don't understand the laws of God you can know that the laws of God are designed for us to flourish. They're designed to be not just right, but they're good for us. And so the fall into sin wasn't just wrong, but it was bad. It was bad. Um, Sin destroys everything. Like this, this sin was Adam and Eve creating a wall between them and God they were saying like it wasn't just that they ate the fruit but they were saying god you are wrong you are bad you are mean that's what they were saying and their relationship with god will never be the same because of that when we break god's laws it produces like it produces a destructive spirit within us that spreads okay sin produces hate it produces loneliness It causes us to get defensive and to react in anger. Um, Sin promotes abuse, oppression. I mean, these are things that are bad because they destroy the flourishing that God has designed for the world. This is the fall. Um, And now the Bible says that everything has been affected by it. Everything has been cursed by it. Romans 8 says that the whole world has been subject to decay. And that's what happens when we unplug from God. When we turn our backs on God, when we don't follow God's ways, the things that we do actually are unplugged. Our batteries are draining, and what happens is we begin to infect the rest of the world, including the people around us. And so I want you to take, again, look at the back. Um, how does this affect you when you read the Bible? Well, let's look at that box that says Confession. Confession is an opportunity to rehearse the fall. And I think that the best way to describe in one word the impact of the fall is abuse. Um, It's abuse because in sin and with the fall, creation's beauty is fallen and it's marred by abuse. So it's almost like God is this amazing painter who just finishes a painting. And what sin does is it walks up to the painting, sticks its hand on it, and rakes It rakes it across. You can still see what was originally there. You can still make out some of the detail. You can still see some of the beauty of it, but it's been horribly disfigured. So while you're reading the Bible, you can ask yourself these two questions. How have you marred God's beautiful and good design? So what are the things that you've done or said or thought that actually do violence to God's design and the way he wants the world to work? And as you identify those things, you want to ask yourself, you want to go a step deeper and ask yourself, why? Why do you pursue things that are outside of God's design? Because as you ask the why question, you begin to understand, oh, you know what? My problem isn't just what I've done, but my problem is that in some areas of my life, I don't trust God. Or I don't like what God has to say. In some areas of my life, God makes me really angry. Um, I don't want to have him reigning over me if this is what he wants me to. To do. And that's a much deeper issue, isn't it? But these are issues, again, that when we use the creation, fall, redemption, renewal um, in CBR, in city Bible reading, this will help us to know, again, what's going on in this passage, and then it'll begin to ask ourselves, hey, what's going on in my life? I mean, even just these two boxes, remembering these things, if my life is falling apart, I can look at creation and I can say, you know what, God, you did not design it to be this way. And what I'm experiencing actually are the effects of the fall. So the problems in my life, the brokenness in my life, the things that are wrong in my life are because of the fall. They're not because of your good design, but they're because either I have done something wrong, but that's not always the case, or other people have done things that are wrong and I'm suffering from the effects of what they have done. And when you rehearse that, you begin to understand more of your life and what's going on in your life. And so, given the abuse, given the fallenness, given the death that comes with sin and the brokenness that multiplies itself, um, what is God's response? Does God leave us in this fallen state, hopeless and to perish? And the answer is no. The answer is no. The third chapter, the third word we want to talk about is redemption. Um, and if you look there on the front, this redemption actually spans from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. Okay? So you've got two chapters before redemption, and then you've got two chapters after redemption. So in my Bible, this is how it shakes out. Okay. So, as we talk about redemption, um, redemption is what God is doing about the fall. Redemption is God undoing the effects of the fall, saving us and rescuing us from the impact of the fall, and then restoring us to the mission that he gave us at creation, but in a way that's even better. Okay, That's what redemption is. And so, redemption is God, is God coming to us In our fallenness, after we have sinned against Him, it's God coming to rescue us. It's God coming in not just love, but now it's sacrificial love. It's not just it's 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 love, but it's the it's the love that's even in the midst of someone who's been spurned and offended, right? It's love that we don't deserve. And so, when I think about that, um, unless you're reading four chapters in the Bible, in some way, what you're reading is trying to help you understand that God is present in the midst of the world that's broken, and he's trying to bring it to the fullness of its completion. Okay? So if you're reading anything beyond Genesis 3, anything before Revelation 21, then one of the messages that you need to take away from that passage is that God is in the middle of this broken world, and he's bringing about redemption. He's setting people free. He's coming to rescue. Okay? What does that mean? Well, that means that if you're thinking about your life before your first two years and before your last two years, we'll just say just to apply it, although it's actually your entire life, like the same thing is going on in your life. Where is God? God is actually right now present in your life wanting to bring about redemption. Okay, redemption tells us where is God? Redemption tells us what is God doing? How is God responding to the brokenness? Okay, and so let's talk more about um, redemption. Um, Redemption is God's all-out effort to fix the world. I mean, this is what God is doing. He's got two choices. He can either remove sinners from the world and judge them and punish them forever, or he can remove the sin That is in the sinners. And God has, like, God is all in on sin removal. God wants to separate us from our sin, so much so that He is willing to take our sin upon Himself. Redemption begins in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, because that's the place where we get the first promise. Where God says to the woman, he says, uh, he says to the serpent, as he's bringing judgment, he says, I'm going to put enmity, I'm going to create a war between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then... After that, God said, um, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed Adam and Eve. So because Adam and Eve were naked, they tried to sew fig leaves together, didn't work out too well. And so God actually, they had sinned against God, okay? And God has a choice. God can either remove them from the earth and judge them, or God can try to remove their sin from them. And God says, I'm actually going to use you now, you who are a sinner. I'm going to use you and through you, I'm going to send someone who is going to completely reverse what you've done. That's the promise. And then the action that God takes is that he kills some animals and he uses the skin, the covering, he uses the skin of the animals to cover them and to hide their nakedness. And what we see here in Genesis 3 at the end is the beginning of this promise to redeem. Um, that what God is doing, he promised that in the day that you eat of the tree, you'll surely die. And yet, and yet when, when they ate, they died spiritually, but God chose to sacrifice an animal and cover them with the value of that animal's death. And in that way, God gives, just in seed form, it's like an acorn, it's going to grow into a tree over the course of the centuries until Jesus comes. But he shows us, really, what it means that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right, what starts in Genesis 3.15 gets pictured and demonstrated and it grows and grows and grows. And we're going to see that next week, actually. We're going to watch God's promise unfold and get bigger and more glorious as we go through the Bible. But where it culminates is with Jesus. It culminates with Jesus, who also, he didn't go into a garden where he was tempted by the devil, but in Jesus' own life, he had to go into the desert. Um, God gave Adam and Eve an entire world that was teeming with life where everything was at their disposal except for this one thing. Um, But Jesus had to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And so whereas Adam and Eve had everything, Jesus had nothing. And when Jesus was in the wilderness and he did battle with the same devil who showed up to tempt him with food, interestingly enough, and other things, Jesus resisted. Every step of the way, Jesus said to the devil, God is more important to me than even my own needs. And so Jesus does what we never have done. Jesus brings a life of real beauty. Um, and we can see this in first Peter chapter two, verse twenty one, or verse twenty two, it says, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so you see here that when Jesus lived on this earth, he didn't respond the way that we do. He never sinned. He never lied. When he was was hurt, when he was attacked, he didn't retaliate, he didn't take vengeance. Instead, he trusted that God would take care of him. And so what we see here is that Jesus enters into this broken world, this world that has been so marred and abused by sin and by sinners. And in the midst of that world, he lives a life of such beauty. He lives a life that was so glorious that people saw him and they said, we've never seen anyone like this before. They heard him speak and they said, no one has ever talked like this before. They saw his actions and they said he has done all things well. And so Jesus lives this, amazing, this amazingly beautiful life. And then he goes on. He doesn't just live the life that we should have lived, but he ends up as the Lamb of God dying the death that we should have died. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So, friends, this is your Savior. This is the culmination of the process of redemption. This is what Jesus has done for you. This is what God has done in light of the fall, in light of your sin. He loved you so much that he sent his Son to die for you. And by his wounds, you've been healed. And so, again, looking at the back of this card, as you read the Bible and you get to that place where you're ready to be thankful, where you want to give thanksgiving to God, you want to remember redemption and remember that this is rescue. That Jesus' beautiful life was abused by sin, and yet he rose to overcome it. The resurrection means that Jesus is more powerful than everything that he suffered from that everything that he was, hurt, that was hurled against him. And so you can ask yourself as you read the Bible and as you pray, how did Jesus live perfectly where you haven't? And then how does Jesus' death and resurrection respond to your sin? So this first one remembers his perfect life. The second question, though, is your opportunity to remember that God knows that you have sinned and has provided Jesus that you might be forgiven and changed. And that's good news. That is good news. So our last point, I want to go now, is jump to renewal. We might have to skip over some of these slides here. Um, so renewal... Renewal is, this is the end of the story. This is the last two chapters of the Bible when you see where God is taking history, where you see what God is going to do when He's fi- or where we're all going to be when he's finally done. And what I love about renewal is it reminds me that Jesus is just getting started. That what he has done, no one can redo. What he has done was sufficient for us. What he has done, there's no longer, we don't need anything else except for Jesus, for us to be holy, for us to be healthy, for us to thrive again in a relationship with God. Jesus brings us back into communion with God. He teaches us to be reconciled with each other. He helps us to be content with who we are and the way that we are, right? Jesus brings about redemption, but his work continues, What he does for us in forgiveness, he begins to work in us to make us new. He works in us, and then he works through us. Let's look at this verse from 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. It says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so what we see here in this passage, I want you to look, it says, Beholding the glory of the Lord. Okay, when we remember, when we think about Jesus, when we can see Jesus in all of his perfection, when we see Jesus dying for our sins, when we see Jesus risen from the dead and living forever, when we see him sharing with us the benefits of his resurrection, when we see those things, we are transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. So in some ways, this is a big reason for us to rehearse these things when we read the Bible because it's actually remembering redemption and renewal. It's remembering these things. It's rehearsing redemption and renewal that lets us see Jesus because when we see Jesus, we become like him we realize that, wait a minute, that perfect life of Jesus doesn't just cover me, but it's now in me. So I don't have love for that person in my life, but Jesus loves them perfectly and his love is now in me. I'm not patient on my own, but Jesus has been so incredibly patient with me and his patience is in me. And so, again, when we read the Bible, you go to that supplication box and realize, oh, supplication is about renewal. We're asking God to bring about that renewal in our lives. And that renewal is perfected beauty, where our lives are the trailer for God's coming beauty. And so you want to ask yourself these two questions. When you read, wherever you're reading, how can you display God's beautiful design Uh, for your life or for life so god has a design for life how can you display that with the things that you say and do and think and then how can your life be a trailer for god's coming beauty read revelation 21 and 22 read about what life is like as people commune with god and live in a city where there's harmony and joy where you don't have to lock your doors right read about the fact that Eyes are, like every tear is wiped away where there's no mourning or sorrow or sickness or death. And ask yourself, how can my life today be a trailer for that? What can I do in terms of helping other people and caring about other people and understanding other people? How could I dry other people's tears? How could I bring reconciliation between other people and God? How can I help heal relationships? Because in these ways, your life is a trailer for what's coming. Friends, this is the story of the Bible. This is what's going on from beginning to end. This is what God is doing, not only in the big picture story, but in your life as well. God initially designed you at creation to be perfect, but you and I have been marred by the fall. Sin has ravaged us and abused us. Some of it's stuff that we've done, but in a lot of ways, it's also stuff that's been done to us. And yet Jesus has come to set us free. Jesus has come to own the punishment and the penalty that our abuse of God's world, our abuse of God's authority has done. And now Jesus is working in you so that you can be like Jesus was in this world. But man, you're from a totally different place. Your life, my life, our lives together Become a trailer, become a movie trailer for what God is going to do. This is God's creative design. So, I want to leave you with homework for this week. I want to give you something that you can read. Um, this week, I want us to tackle the Old Testament. Okay, we've been looking at the New Testament for the first two weeks um, in city Bible reading. It's Hosea chapters two through six this week. Okay? And so, I want you to, and if you haven't been reading Hosea, that's okay. Like chapter two starts tomorrow. Um, If you want to read chapter one, you can. It's relatively short, but you don't have to, remember. You can just pick up on the day that you start. Um, And I want you to so read a chapter a day and ask yourself these questions. Like rehearse, creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. God, how does this passage remind me of the way God intended life to be? How have these people screwed this up? And how have I screwed this up? And then how has Jesus come to be the answer for this? And how can I live out that answer so that others could see how good Jesus is? If you do that this week, you will connect to God and you'll begin to see not just what the Bible's talking about, but you'll begin to see where God is working in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we can understand the whole whole story. Uh, in these simple ways. I pray, Lord, that you would press these things into our hearts and that we would see a renewed, we'd have a renewed understanding of what creation is and what your design was, that we'd be able to still see that design um, in our own lives. God, help us to remember that there is nothing good in our sin. There is nothing good uh, that, that... there is no life that comes from the things that we do and we do them outside of your ways. Draw us back to Jesus. And I pray that you would draw even folks that haven't committed to him today, draw them close to Jesus. Help them to see that his sin, or that his sacrifice was for their sin. And Lord, let us today in community together help us to pursue you as we read your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.